We are talking about following Jesus five weeks. We're in lesson three, and this lesson is called Responding to Jesus. I want to talk to you about what it means to respond to Jesus, especially as we think about following him. But let me review very quickly. Week number one, we talked about that Christianity is all about having a relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. And so I laid out the gospel from a Genesis to Romans perspective. And we talked about how God made us for relationship and we fell away in sin and Jesus came back and he paid the price so that we could be forgiven and cleansed and made right with our Heavenly Father. And it's through Christ and are receiving him as Lord and Savior, that we now are restored back to that relationship. And if we're going to follow Jesus, it has to be within the context of this relationship that Jesus came to pay for. We can't do it on our own terms. We can't do it in our own righteousness. And thanks be to God that he sent Jesus Christ so we could know him like this again. And the second week, which was last week, we talked about the call of discipleship. And we walked through the invitation that Jesus gave. And this is what he meant. He, he would say to people, follow me. And he would literally keep going. And, and you had a choice to make. And he wasn't begging people to do that. He knew who he was. He knew what he was offering. And he even told people to calculate the cost. And so we observed that. We studied what it meant to follow Jesus according to his own words. In other words, we cannot follow Jesus on our own terms. We have to understand that it's on his terms and not ours. If we're truly following him, it will be. Now, we noted that it's not about our perfection. We're not going to follow Jesus perfectly, but we are going to pursue him consistently. And that certainly is the case for us. And so now I want to walk through three biblical responses to the call of following Jesus. All right, if we're going to follow him on his terms, then we've got to know what the Bible says as to what it really means to follow him. This is very important. So it's not just, I love Jesus and I think well of him and I'm pretty sure I'm following him. Well, how is it that we know that for sure? Well, the Bible tells us what the actual response to his call truly is. And what I'm talking about is twofold. I'm talking about his response to salvation, which we continue to, to share uh, very, very honestly, very openly, Jesus calls us to be saved. And it's what we're saved from, from sin, hell, death, and the grave. And we're saved for a life-giving relationship with our heavenly father. But it's also about sanctification. This, this responding to God doesn't stop once we say yes to Jesus. We're always responding to him. And he's calling us each and every, every day. I wanna open by sharing with you a verse that's well-known and one of the greatest sermons, well, the greatest perhaps, that Jesus ever preached, and that's in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter seven. It's at the end of everything Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. You're probably very familiar with this, but I'm gonna read to you verse 24. It says this, therefore, Jesus speaking, everyone who hears these words of mine, everything he had been saying, he talked about fasting and praying and giving. Um, he talked about purity. He talked about holiness. He talked about uh, generosity. He I mean, he talked about all kinds of stuff. And then at the end of that, he said, everyone who hears all of these words of mine and acts on them, follows them, obeys them, may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everybody say rock. It just sounds strong, doesn't it? Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house. And it fell and even emphasizes and great was its fall. So he talks about a definite collapse for a type of person that hears but does not respond. And then he also contrasts that to the person that hears what he says and responds. This person is like a person that builds their life, house would be life on the rock. And no matter what comes, you know, the rains and the torrents and all, all the floods might come and they will. And he's talking about life circumstances, difficulty, pain, problems, all of that's gonna come to both people. But the person that is founded on the rock will stand because the rock is Christ. This person stands on the rock because they hear and they respond. That is the difference. The difference is a person 
that responds. So Jesus clearly is going after this. And throughout all the gospel accounts, you will find over and over again, what Jesus is constantly trying to do is help people be converted from listeners to consistent, devoted disciples, because he knows there's no way that your life will be blessed unless you actually put into practice what I'm saying. You cannot have the life that I am talking about without you putting your response into action. And so obviously we are here to respond to Jesus. Your presence here tonight in one way or another is evidence to the fact that you and I want to do just that. Or why would we come? Or why would we watch online? Of all the other things that we could do, this wouldn't be one of them unless we wanted to respond to Jesus. So amen to you today. But I must continue. And so I shall. What are the three responses as we follow Jesus? What are they from the scriptures? I'm glad you asked. Tonight, I'm gonna show you. Number one is we respond to Jesus's call in salvation and in sanctification through faith. The first biblical response is faith. Now, I've talked to you about this before, but a life in Christ is not merely about how you behave. It's about what you believe. Why? Because if you believe rightly, you will act righteously. I'm gonna say that again. If you believe rightly, according to God's word, you will act righteously. Now you might say, well, I don't. Maybe not all the time, and maybe you're not there yet. But friends, you just keep believing the word of God right up against the backdrop of all of the lies in the world out there. God's word is true, and we will find it out every single time. But yes, we're gonna get challenged. Yes, we're gonna be tempted to believe other things, but we will find again and again that God's word is true. And so the war often is over what it is that we believe. And in the Bible, we see the word faith in Greek has many meanings, but it's referring to this specifically when you see the word faith. It's the ability to believe, to trust, to fully rely upon. You see massive amounts of scripture that talks about God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, it's not to mentally ascribe. It's not to say, well, I believe in God, but we live nothing like it. It is to say, I wholly rely upon, I depend on, just like I depend on air to breathe, I depend on God to live. This is what the Bible is talking about. It does not mean to mentally ascribe to his existence. It means to put my life in his hands. I literally trust in him like a person who has crutches. They depend on those to walk. If they're not there, they fall. This is what the Bible would mean when we talk about the word faith. Having faith and to believe are synonymous terms, especially in the conversation that we have tonight. Look what Mark chapter one and verse 15 says, Jesus speaking, and he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Now he's stepping into his ministry and he specifically says, because of this, repent and believe the good news. Now the word good news means gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. But the apostle Paul later clarifies what we're talking about in Romans 1.16. Look at this. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news. The same thing Jesus just proclaimed in Mark 1 because it is the power of God that brings salvation to who? Everyone. To everyone that believes. Not just anyone that, 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 that sort of says they ascribe mentally to God, but think about the word believe. They wholly rely upon Jesus for salvation. It isn't just to say, I believe in a God. I believe in the man upstairs. I think he's real. I think he exists, sort of, kind of. And when I get into a jam, I call on the lamb. That's not what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about people who literally put their life into his hands. Did you, did you like that? I, I thought you did. I thought you were laughing. Amen. That just came. That, I don't know. I can't. I can't repeat it. I can't do it again. It just is what it is. You're welcome. Or pray for me. I'm not sure which one. <laughs> I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And that's a biblical way of saying everybody. That's a biblical way of saying everybody. And so we know this, salvation comes through believing in Christ as our Lord and Savior. We give up our own goodness, our own works, our own knowledge, our own wisdom, our, and we trust in the finished work of Christ. And that brings about the precious results of eternal salvation. Look what Romans 10 and nine says. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in where? 
You believe in your heart. And this is a real belief. This is that it's, in, it's inside you. It's deep within you. It's not, it's not just sort of this ethereal place. He's talking about the word heart would mean the, the centrality of who you are. If you truly believe in your heart, you will be saved. That God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Look what comes first. Belief comes first, confession comes second. Sometimes people confess with their mouth, but they do not believe in their heart. They will not have those results. So he's talking about belief and then they will confess with their mouth and they are saved. But look what it says here in Ephesians chapter two and verse eight. Some people get this confused, but it's very important verse. A lot of us, if we went to Sunday school or grew up in church, we know this verse, probably memorized it. For by grace, everybody say by grace. By grace. Now watch this. You have been saved through faith. Now say through faith. faith. Watch. By grace, grace. through faith. And not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one might boast. Notice what he's talking about here. It's saying it's by grace. Grace is the finished work of Christ. Grace is what Jesus did for us, what we cannot do for ourselves. Faith, which is how we literally obtain that grace. He died in our place. On, on, he, di- he died for us. His precious blood can cleanse us, but God also gives us faith. Faith is the ability to believe. And so you have g- the grace of God in Jesus Christ. You have faith. Both are gifts. You don't have faith without God giving it to you. However, what he allows us to do is to take our faith and apply it to his grace. And when we do that, when we connect one gift to the other, which is what we call free will and our choice, that's the camp that we're in tonight, by the way, in case you weren't sure, but both are gifts and you cannot boast about the grace of God, which Jesus did on your behalf. And you cannot boast about it being by your faith because he gave that to you as well. But we trust in, we don't boast in, we trust in the finished work of Jesus. We apply the faith that he gave to the grace that he provides. So it's by grace, but it's through faith. And none of this is of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not a result of work so that no one can boast. And there's a lot of other passages I could continue to go through to show you all of this. But what's important for us to recognize is that there is a biblical response for you and for me toward God and toward his word, and it's called faith. And that everything God says, he calls us to believe him. When it doesn't make sense, he calls us to believe him. When we don't fully understand, he calls us to believe him. And friends, let me tell you tonight, there are times you will not understand. There are times you will not know what's going on. There are times, but we will have a clarity about what the Bible says. And that's what it means. It wouldn't be called faith, trust, if there wasn't a necessity for us to actually cross into that realm that we don't know. I mean, otherwise it would be trusting God by logic or it'd be trusting God by common sense. But some of this has to do with faith. Faith, Lord, I don't see it but I believe you. Lord, I don't understand it, but I trust you and not everything else around me. And this is the beautiful thing. And you cannot find the results of your faith unless you choose to apply it. You just can't. Sometimes people will call it blind faith, but the only reason they'll say that is because it's blind to them. It is blind to the person that doesn't apply it. It's blind, it's blind to the person that doesn't see the results in their life because they're not operative with their faith towards God's word. So you cannot know what you don't know until you cross over what God knows. You just can't. And I think I believe what I just said, but I couldn't say it again if I tried, you know. I'm just joking with you. When you read the Bible, you have to think about what John said here in his gospel, John chapter 20 and verse 30. Now pay attention to this because it's, it's really powerful when, when you think about what John was thinking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he wrote. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. How many of you would like to know about all those? I mean, I would love to read all the stories about Jesus. I wonder if they left out some controversial ones. I wonder, <laughs> you know, they put in a few, like he spit in his hand and he put it on somebody's face and he got hit. I mean, they put a few in there, but I would really like to know some of the other ones, just thinking about it. But these ones, John says, are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. 
Friends, by the simple act of reading the Bible, we are exposed to more of what is true. And as we do that, we have a place for our faith to land. And when our faith lands, just like an airplane, just like an airplane, all that comes with that airplane comes into our life. But you cannot find that to be true unless you know the word and apply your faith. And so what we're talking about mostly so far is what the Bible would call saving faith. We believe in Jesus for salvation. And this is of course the response that is required for us to be restored to relationship with them. However, it does work the same as you become a Christian because the way in to relationship with God is the way on in relationship with God. The way we come to Christ is the way we stay. This is why Jesus talked about having faith like a child, not childish faith, but childlike faith, where it's easy for us to choose to believe the one that certainly deserves our trust. Sometimes we call the faith of the believer general faith or increasing faith, ever increasing faith. We might call it the believer's faith, but what we're talking about is all of the promises of God we continue to apply our belief, we continue to trust wholly and completely in what the word of God says. And Hebrews chapter 11 tells us about people that have gone before us and done just that. Look what it says here in verse one and two. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it men of old gained approval. And then Hebrews 11 goes through a ton of people who literally did just that. They believed. They chose to believe God. And it's an incredible chapter of the Bible. When you start to read it, you find out very quickly that this is literally what God wants to do in our lives as well, should we choose to continue to believe him. And let me say this to you today, because I I literally will talk to a number of people that have a hard time with their salvation. And here's usually what happens. I've shared this in the weekend service, but I wanna say it again is that when a Christian meets Christ and they receive the Holy Spirit, they've given their life over to Jesus. He's Lord, he's savior. They've repented of their sins. The Holy Spirit lives in them. When they continue to sin, they usually have an issue at times where they struggle some to the degree of wondering if they're actually saved. Well, if I was saved, why do I keep sinning? If I was saved, why do I have so much pain and problems? Why am I so burdened. Why am I so heavy? I'm supposed to have joy. All these people are like, I have joy because everybody puts it on at church. I didn't mean that. Anyhow, (laughs) we all have a church face. Tell the truth. And so what's wrong with me? Why do I keep sinning again and again? Why do I keep doing the same old thing? Am I really Am I really saved? Do I really know Jesus? Does he keep forgiving me? And I'm going to give you an answer tonight. Yes. He keeps forgiving you and saved by grace through faith. And Paul actually has an answer for people here when they're like, well, if the grace of God is revealed when I sin more and we just see the grace more, then should I keep on sinning? And he says, of course not. Well, why would Paul even say that? Because there were people who thought in their licentiousness, that's a word where they just continue to sin and want to sin and are having a fun time sinning. He's saying, hey, this is not the posture of the believer. No, you wanna rid yourselves of your sin. You wanna continue to come to God. And so if you have to come to him again and again and again and a hundred times, what we do is we put our faith in the finished work of Jesus. Not our best day, not our righteousness, not our level of maturity. Friend, I wanna encourage you today. If you're struggling with something, welcome to the party. It's called the church. And we all are walking out what the Bible would call, or at least theological term is sanctification, which means we are becoming more like Jesus. And it takes a whole life in order to do that. And he walks with us and he talks with us and he changes us and he transforms us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And you know what we have to do in the process is continue to believe God. And so what happens when when we give up is we stop believing God for whatever reason, we choose to believe something else. A lie will detour us from following Christ. And you've seen it a hundred times. This is how people will start following God and it's something will happen in their life. And they'll say, well, why did God allow this? Why did God do this? And why isn't he setting me free? And why isn't he restoring this? And why isn't he doing that? And maybe he's not good. And maybe he's not who they say. And maybe the Bible isn't what it means. And maybe we stop reading it altogether, of course 
course. And so we have very little to put our faith in. We forget the simplicity of devotion to Christ, which is God is good. God has an eternal plan. God does forgive us. God is at work. God is cleansing us. He just hasn't fully done it all yet. And we have to persevere. We have to endure. We have to keep walking with him. So if you happen to have a sin problem tonight, you have a savior for that very reason. And if you do, go ahead and say amen. amen. Faith. Faith is the first biblical response. What do you believe? Whether you're a Christian or not, if you're not a Christian, you put your faith in the saving work of Jesus. If you are a Christian, what do you need to be delivered from? What do you need to be healed in? What is the area of growth that God is working into you? How is it that you are growing? What are you laying hold of? What's the promise of God for you? That's where we put our faith tonight. Sometimes people will sit down with me and they'll have a problem or an issue in their life and they'll spell it all out for me. And, and I think that's a, that's a holy thing. That's a, that's a sacred space and I'm grateful for that. But sometimes the first thing I will tell them is do you believe or ask them, do you believe that God can deliver you? Because I've got no magic. I want you guys to know the secret tonight. I've got nothing in my back pocket. I have no magic. I have no secret. I've got no way to make you somewhere, make you something or do something that nobody else can or you yourself. Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. Jesus is. We can help each other, but you know what we're doing? We're helping people to Jesus. We're helping each other to the truth. We're helping hold each other's arms up as we receive from him. But we are not him. We are not him. He is the one that has all this. So the first question I ask someone is, do you believe that God can do this for you in your life? And if the answer is, well, you know, and I'm right there, right there. Yeah. Grab that thing. Grab that thing right there. I'm, and I'm looking you guys in the eyes. Whatever the thing is, whatever it is, we've got to get a hold of what the Bible says. And that's what we're going to help each other do, to believe God. I don't want to believe the culture. I don't want to believe the lies. I don't want to believe my past. I don't want to believe my struggles. Those things might be real. Those things might be happening, but I choose to believe that God can help me out of that. God can change me from that. God can continue to work even in the midst of that. And that is what we're doing is helping each other believe Jesus. The second response is repentance. Now I have to explain this to you. I know you probably have heard a lot about this. Some of you have a degree in repentance, a PhD, an RHD. Repent in our English dictionary means to feel sorry or to feel remorse. In Latin, it means to be sorry again. So a lot of root words come from Latin. That's where language, the etymology, if you're if you love language, you understand that, but a lot of words can come from this. And so embedded into our understanding of a word can often be this type of meaning. It means to feel sorry again. It means sorry again, like again and again and again. And you can see that there is a cycle even in church where this meaning, although it's not biblical, it might be in the dictionary, isn't actually what the word repent in the Bible means. Because repentance in the Bible means more than sorry. It means to change your mind and it means to change your action or your behavior. Every now and again, a person will, will say repentance means to change your mind only. And then you'll hear somebody say it, needs to, it means to, be, to change your behavior. It means both. It's a turn about. It, it, it means sort of in a biblical sense that in sin, we turned our face away from God. And in repentance, we turn our face back, face to face with God. This is repentance. We turn to face God again. And we can do that through Christ. I want to say this to you. Repentance is not the gospel. Repentance is a response to the gospel. Every now and again, I'll hear somebody talk about repentance is the gospel. No, repentance means to change. It means to turn the gospel is very clear from scripture, but it is our biblical response because we were born sinful, selfish, self-seeking, God-resistant, resistant to his leadership and to his lordship, to his voice. And Jesus came preaching repentance because he said his kingdom was at hand. He came preaching change. Why? Because his kingdom, his rule and his reign is now here. And so everything else that is in charge, right? There's a new management in town. 
There's a new owner over the business establishment. And so it's just time to change the way we think and come under his leadership and his lordship. And so Jesus preached this in Mark 1.15. He says, the kingdom of God has come near. Believe and repent. Believe and repent. We talked about believing, but notice how repentance is always coupled with believing almost all of the time throughout the Bible. And it's very important that we also have this understanding because if we believe in Jesus, but we do not repent from sin and turn to him, we will believe in our minds, but we will follow our own path. And so we will find ourselves saying things like, well, I believe in him. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus, but I am following myself in my own way of thinking. Now, listen to this. A hundred years ago, William Booth said this, he said, the chief danger of the 20th century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. It sounds like today. It does not sound like 100 years ago. Now, we may not know repentance outside of somebody kind of preaching fire, hell, hell and brimstone. Is that how it goes? I don't know. I never knew a brimstone if I saw one. But we might understand it from sort of like an angry, like I think it gets characterized as an angry preacher. But when people heard the word repent in Jesus's day, they were very familiar with this terminology. It wasn't lost on them. And so we see repentance in the Old Testament quite a bit, like in Nehemiah chapter nine and verse one. And it says this, it says, now in the 20th and fourth day of the month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting, with sackcloth, and with earth upon them, or dirt. This ashes is what it means. And there are many other passages where it talks about this. It says the people of God, literally what they did was they repented. They repented. And what did they do when they repented? Well, many things they did. The Bible talks about it. Number one is you'll see throughout the book of Nehemiah and other passages, they openly confessed their sin, like publicly. Like that would be similar to tonight, if I, if I said, everybody stand up and let's all openly and publicly confess our sin together. How many of you would like church? A lot of it though was collective. There was an ownership of what we have done wrong as a people. We have not trusted in the Lord. We have worshiped idols. We confess our sin before God. They would openly confess their faults publicly. It was a form of repentance. They would also fast they would not eat food for a period of time. They would go without, they would feel the hunger. It would remind them of wanting to hunger for God and starve out the other things that they had been giving themselves to. It also says they wore sackcloth and ashes. Clearly this is not something that we do, but sackcloth was like a burlap sack type of material. It was uncomfortable. That's why they wore it. And ashes were literally burnt wood. It was, it was that leftover fragments that they would smear on themselves. They would pour it on themselves. And so this was a visible outward sign of repentance. And they would do this collectively. They also would read scripture publicly and say, amen. It wasn't just a liturgy, but it was something that in the Old Testament, under the old covenant, they would do. And I think it's important that when we read the New Testament and he talks about repentance, the, the people would have understood these concepts. They, but now he's saying, repent because the kingdom is at hand. That was the change. Repent because the kingdom is at hand. The rule and reign of God is being established. So we need to turn from everything else and turn towards the king, prepare our hearts and receive him as he comes. Now, I just want to remind you, you, you probably know this, but everyone in the New Testament preached repentance. John the Baptist preached repentance. Jesus preached repentance. The apostle Peter, the apostle Paul, I, I put many passages. I've got a lot of stories about this because one of my concerns has been that when people talk about following Jesus, they talk about believing in him, but they do not talk about repenting. When clearly this is a biblical response. Friends, you gotta get this. It's a biblical response. When you drop repentance out of the equation and you just tell people to believe in God or believe in Jesus, there's no wonder why the power of God is not attached to a conversion experience is because you literally have to turn from yourself and turn to God. If you don't do that, it's not a biblical response and it does not carry biblical power. 
It just doesn't do that. You can't hide a lot of stuff and hold on to a lot of stuff and harbor a lot of the secret sin and and the things that we once were connected to, idols that we worshiped, ways that we lived. It's a total abandonment to God is what it is. And where that does not happen, we will not find the results that the Bible teaches. One time, now this is a tough story, but I want to tell it just for perspective. So just sort of take this in. There was a, a, a young woman, she was 19. My wife and I knew her at a church that we were a part of. It's not our church. This was some years ago. And we counseled her. I specifically counseled her not to uh, get together with a, a person. She was a Christian and she was really on fire. And she really liked this boy who was not a Christian at the time. Now, I've got nothing against that guy specifically, but I just told her, listen, you're following Jesus. And I'm telling you, just because you're infatuated with him, you're attracted to him. I know you think he's the best thing since sliced bread, but don't get together with him. Don't do this to yourself because you guys don't see eye to eye on your worldview and the most important issues right now. That's, that's not, and I don't believe in flirt to convert. So don't do that. You know, just, just, just don't. And so she said, thank you, Pastor Ben. And she just went and did what she wanted to do. Now we love her and we all make mistakes and I'm not judging her for that, okay? Um, I've done plenty of, of sinful, wrong things. And so not only did she get together with this guy, but you know, they did what you do when you start down that road. And she ended up getting pregnant. And so she came back to the church. She left the church. Then she came back to the church after she was uh, pregnant. And so now there's a very serious problem. And so we're like, okay, we're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to help her. We're not going to shame her. Um, and she sat in my office. My wife was walking with her and she, um, the guy left her and, or she left him. I don't remember which one it was, but I can remember talking with her and she was saying things like this. And just hear me before you think anything. Just, just, just discern this. Okay. She said, since the guy is now gone, I am going to give my child the best that I can absolutely give to him. And, uh, and so I'm just gonna make sure that his life is great. I'm gonna make sure that he's solid. I'm gonna make sure that, you know, even though his dad's not gonna be around, I'm, I'm going to, you know, she just had like all of these statements that she was making. And I was getting kind of overwhelmed and very uncomfortable because in all of our time with her, not one time did I hear her have a sense of wrongdoing. Not one time did I hear her repent. And so as a pastor, I was deeply concerned for her. And so this is what I said to her based on what I believe the Bible teaches. I said to her, the first thing that you wanna do to give your child the best life that they can have is repent before God for what you did. God can redeem this child's life, amen? Amen. But don't act like it didn't happen. The worst thing that you can do is just smudge this thing and act like you didn't do what you just did. This man left you and that's on him, but it isn't time for you to pull yourself up and act like you got it all together and you're gonna do all this stuff because that's what you did before and look where it got you. No, this is what you need to do. And so I promise you, I looked her in the eyes and I said, you need to repent before God for having sex with this gentleman You need to repent before God for believing in the face of advice that was given to you. And you need to repent before God for disobeying him and then receive the redemption that God has for you. Then receive what God will do for your absolute, God's blessing will come down from heaven and touch you and this child because it isn't about how great you are, but don't start by telling me how good you're gonna do in the midst of how bad you've already done. Don't do that, friend, don't do it. That's not repentance. Do you understand? Are you with me tonight? Now, I just, I'm not trying, I'm not mad at her. I loved her. Bridget and I walked with her. We got to dedicate her child on the stage to the Lord several years. It was an amazing redemption story. But listen, the Bible works. And if we stop believing the Bible and stop telling each other the truth and we just act like, well, now I know and I'm not gonna go down those roads again. Friends, we've got to live before God according to his word. And when we make a mistake, we give an apology and we come to God and we repent and we turn around and we ask him for his grace. And he always says, amen but we don't cover ourselves. Jesus covers us. That's what Adam and Eve did. They covered themselves. They disobeyed God and they ran when God was coming and they made fig leaves, Louis Vuitton, and they covered themselves because they wanted to, you know, they wanted to make their own suits and dresses and stuff. And they thought, Hey, if I cover myself, I look really good in all of this until God shows up. And when God shows up, he looks at you. He says, where are you? Like God doesn't know. He knows exactly where you are. 
And Adam kind of like comes out of the bushes. And God says, who told you you were naked? And then he points at the woman. We're going to talk about that Friday night. He points at the woman. The woman points at the snake, and the snake is slithering away. And then it's just them covered with leaves. You know, Louis Vuitton, whatever, whatever your thing is. And the Bible says that he made coverings for them when it came for, through a sacrifice. God wants to cover us. God wants to cover us, but he doesn't cover us until we repent and come before. You with me on this? Amen. This is good stuff. If you do it God's way, it's the best way. In fact, it should be the only way, but it's, you know. Five things we, receive, we see about repentance in the Bible. Number one, repentance is a commitment to change. Number two, repentance is God's kindness. It leads us to repentance. Can I tell you tonight, you need, you need God's mindset in order for you to even repent. I mean, even before we, like, you know, often we need to see things from his perspective to even repent. Lord, would you give me the right thinking about my situation so I can even repent? I mean, it even takes God's help to properly repent. The Bible talks about granting them repentance. I mean, it's incredible. Like he is so available to help us walk out life. He just is. But even in the process of obtaining his help, we so resist and rebel. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? But God's kindness leads us to repentance. God grants repentance. Number four, repentance is how we humble ourselves before God. And five, repentance is a way of life. It's a way of life. It's a way of continuing to be under his management. I want a new supervisor. Nope, it's Jesus. <laughs> I want a new boss. Nope, it's Jesus. You may feel like that some days, but it's deceit. Number three, the, the third response that the Bible teaches us as we follow Jesus to his words and his ways is water baptism. And we need to recognize that water baptism might seem kind of a strange thing. I've baptized a ton of people. And every now and again, when I'm baptizing somebody that just has no Christian context, they get into the waters and they have no idea what we're doing, but they're just the simple faith of trusting the words of scripture and us leading them down that road and the witness that the Holy Spirit gives in the heart. But it's very strange because we're so many thousand years removed from a context that we do not know. What is water baptism? Did, did they understand it when you read the scriptures and Jesus talked about baptism? John the Baptist talked about baptism. Did they get it? Yes, they actually understood where all of this came from because there were many ritual cleansings and purifications for the community, for the priests, for individuals. For example, there was a national baptism, if, if you would call it that, Exodus 19.10. And this is where God commanded the people to wash their clothes. It was a purification ritual. I mean, this is what preceded water baptism in the New Testament. They also had this priestly baptism, or I'm using that terminology in Leviticus 8. The priests were to wash their bodies with water specifically because they were holy, which means they were set apart before God. And so they had to go through this water ritual of cleansing so they could stand before a holy God. It was a baptism of sorts. It was a, a purification we also have in Leviticus 14 that individuals would do this also when they would bring a sacrifice. There was a purification ritual and they would do it at least once a year when they would come to the temple. They would also do this when they were cleansed of diseases. The priests would declare them clean and say, now you need to go wash yourself. Again, it's this washing. It's this idea that God wants you to cleanse yourself with water, the washing of the water. But all of this led up to what the New Testament would refer to the word baptism. And this is where they would have a mikvah. When you would come to the temple, it was sort of halfway underground. And they had a way that you had to walk into the mikvah and the way you would dip yourself in the water. And then you would come back out. This is the baptism that they understood. So when John's baptizing in the Jordan River, they're going crazy because they've never seen a baptism like this before. Everything that they knew all of the Jewish people that really got the mikvah, they understood what this was like. When John came preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, they were like, what in the world is going on? And so thousands of people came out to see this wild man standing in a dirty river, baptizing hundreds of people. I mean, who knows what the water must've looked like, you know? 
Everybody was getting a bath on that day, but none of them totally understood why John was doing this. And he told them, prepare. He was preparing the way of the Lord. Be baptized for the remission of your sins. He's like the King, the Messiah is coming. And it says here in Mark chapter one and verse four, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then it says the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out out to him, confessing their sins, they were baptized in the Jordan River. Can you, can you even imagine what we're talking about? Confessing their sins. I've actually seen this before. I've baptized a lot of people in water and as I do, they just literally confess their sins. And they also testify to what God has done. It's powerful, it's powerful. And I, I believe with all, all my heart as we go through these passages, which we don't have a lot of time to do, Something that you find about baptism that probably isn't spoken about a lot. It is a very spiritual thing. It is an outward action of an inward reality. We already believe in Jesus. We've already repented and turned from our own way and we've turned to him. When we go into the water, it is not just symbolic, it is spiritual. We go under the water and it signifies, it symbolizes our death that has taken place. But when we rise to new life, I want you to hear this, that every principality and power recognizes that we are marked by Jesus. Every evil spirit that could possibly witness this, I'm not even sure what and how all of that happens, but something deeply spiritual happens when a person goes under and comes back out. Something powerful happens and it marks that person. And this is one of the reasons why people, when they get water baptized, get tempted right away. One of the reasons people get water baptized, they get tempted right away, is because that decision that you just made you kicked a bee's nest. You just got marked by Jesus. You just told everybody. I mean, you were, it's like making a vow, like when you're at your wedding and men and women do this, they, they have vows. They make a pledge. They look someone in the eyes and they say, till death do us part. When we go into those waters, that watery grave, it is more than a symbolic thing that we are doing there. It is marking us and we come up out in a declaration and all that see it witness this, but so, so do principalities and powder. So do angels rejoice. So does the Holy Spirit witness by pouring out his presence. It's a powerful thing. And yes, guess what? Every time you take a step in God, you think you're gonna get tested? You and I will get tested. You kick a bee's nest, the bees come on out and they're not ready to play. They're ready to sting. And so friends, as a church, when we baptize people in the water, there has to be a commitment from the saints of God to pray over their lives, to pray a blessing, to pray protection, to pray for them to be filled with the spirit. And that's what we do. And that's why we do it. That's why we have people that pray for you when you come out of the water. That's why we have people praying who are out here witnessing it because we understand what we're witnessing. We are witnessing somebody obey Jesus in the midst of the options that they could be doing anything else. Following self doing anything but what they're doing. It's, it's a powerful moment, just like when a husband and wife look at each other in the eyes and they give their vows. In a sense, it's a vow to Jesus. These water, this water baptism is something that we cannot move away from. We preach, we have to preach, respond to Jesus, faith, repentance, and water baptism. Jesus called his disciples to go and make disciples and make sure to baptize them. Look what he says, Matthew 8, 28, 19. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is a full Trinitarian baptism. It's more than just water, but it's also the baptism with the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about in the weeks to come. Teach them to observe everything I commanded you. I mean, everything. And we get into trouble because because we only teach people part of it. Sometimes it's not the bad teaching that ruins people's lives. It's the partial teaching. Teach people to obey some of what I taught them. There are hard things to talk about, you understand? There are, but if we stop talking about them, like repentance, it's kind of fallen off in many places. And I'm not saying that to judge other churches or to speak bad of them, but I'm saying it as a stake in the ground. We can't do that. We can't do that. We, you, you, you can't stop 
preaching repentance, teaching repentance, discipling and repentance. But baptism is a death of sorts and it's a resurrection of new life. It's the way in which we make disciples. The apostles told people who believed in Jesus to repent and be water baptized. This is Peter's greatest sermon. Acts chapter two, verse 38, Peter said, repent each of you and be baptized. It was like, literally do it right now. Do it right now. And often I will tell people when we do baptisms here, I would rather people go home wet and obedient than be dry and disobedient. So we give that call like, hey, you didn't go through the class, but you feel compelled, come and be baptized. This is why we will always give that call. Water baptism is death to our old way of life. It's cleansing from the effects of sin. It's new life in Christ. It's identification with Christ and with his body. And let me close by saying this, and whoever's gonna come for the second portion of our worship, please do. Faith, repentance, and water baptism. And, and, and here's what I would like to say to you tonight as, as we look at what it means to follow Jesus, to respond to Jesus biblically, is that we might mean well, we might want to do better, but we have to respond biblically. There's a right response. It is the biblical response. And these passages, about a hundred of them that I threw at you tonight, and many more I did not bring up because the time has drawn short. The reality is this, is that we believe upon Jesus for salvation, but we also continue to believe in him as those who are saved. We continue to believe. We repent in salvation, we turn from self and turn to Christ, but we repent every day of our life from our old way of life. And we stay true to him. And in water baptism, this is something that every believer needs to do. The question is, do I have to be water baptized to be saved? Well, technically no, but the next question is, why wouldn't you be water baptized if you're saved? I mean, you can just change the question and really present it a different way but this is vital. And so I wanna ask you the question tonight as we talked about response. I know most of you, I mean, not like personally, you know, I don't know everything about your life, but I generally see a lot of you here and know a lot of your names. And those of you online, I know there's many that are faithful to watch us and to participate uh, wherever you are online, but I have to ask, and I will ask this almost every service, Tonight, if you do not believe in and have not placed your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, please do not leave tonight without having done that. And when I say believe in Jesus, I mean, if you haven't placed your life into his hands, if you haven't given him your whole life and received forgiveness of your sin and cleansing from unrighteousness and restoration of relationship with the Father, please, there is only one reason you're watching and there's only one reason you're here and it is God's goal that he be back in relationship with you and he gave Jesus to secure that. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is if you need to repent, maybe you believe in Jesus, but you are not living a life where you have turned from self and turned to him and you're following where he goes. Imperfectly, of course, where none of us are doing that, we're trying to get in step with him. We're trying to follow him as closely as possible. But if we're still living for self and we say we believe in Jesus, it is probably because we haven't repented. Or maybe we did repent at one time and we believed in Jesus with our whole heart, but we fell, we fell down or we fell back and we started following our own way. And if you are in that category, don't leave tonight without turning, without changing. And I know there are preachers that have gotten angry and like, you need to turn or burn and all, that's great. This is what's best for you. And that's the reality of it is that if we don't repent, we can keep living the way that we're living and all we're gonna find is disappointment and despair and pain and problems and life is hard enough as it is, but to not have the closeness of Christ and to not put our faith in the promises of God and to not realize that it's just a matter of turning. It's not like, it's, it's not like he's made something impossible or even difficult. He's just saying, turn from your old way of life, turn from your sin, 
Turn from your own wicked ways and turn to me and I'll redeem and restore and heal and cleanse and forgive. Do it every day that you wake up in the morning. Lord, if there be any wicked way in me, cleanse me, purify me. I repent. Make it a habit of your life. But listen, if you're here tonight or you're watching and you actually need to repent, like you literally need to do business with God, He'll touch your heart in such a way where it doesn't matter what I do or don't say. He'll touch your heart and say, today is the day, change, turn. You'll sense something inside of you like I've got to do something. Like it'll just itch until you do it. It'll burn. You'll feel it. Yes, I, I dare I say, you'll feel it. You've got to make a profession of faith. You've got to make a commitment to God. Don't leave until you do that. And if you have not been water baptized, I would like you to do this and I challenge you, if you've not been water baptized or if you were baptized as a kid and it wasn't your decision, you never chose to be water baptized yourself. Do this in obedience to Christ. The first step tonight, I don't have a full tub or I would baptize you right now, I would. I don't even know how many of, most of us I'm sure have been water baptized. I would do it right now, I'd get in, it's an empty tub though, it's an empty tub. But I want you to, I want you to, Come up front to one of our pastors and tell us that you're going to get water baptized. I want you to actually say it for your sake to hold yourself accountable because we can easily walk away and we can say, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to sign up on the website, but your name doesn't make it on there. So if you come up, I'm going to take my phone out. And I'm going to sign you up. We're going to sign you up for water baptism and we're going to stand with you in, the water, in those waters. And I'm so thankful to do that. I know that our pastor is one of the Greatest things that we get to do. And I did it 20 something years ago. And I, I'm so thankful that somebody stood with me in those waters when I didn't fully understand what I was doing. Somebody's gonna hold me down. And I think they held me down for a lot longer than I needed to be down. They were making sure something was gonna die, you know. And it did, aren't you thankful? But we'll sign you up. You come and tell us, I need to get baptized. I either didn't have a good one or I never had one. Thanks for listening today. Pastor Ben's mission is to equip the church to impact the world. If you want to get connected, check the show notes and visit bendixon.org. From there, you can learn about Pastor Ben's other podcasts, the books he has written, Ignite Global Ministries, and the online Immersion Discipleship School. Music